Welcome to On The Verge. This podcast will highlight interviews from entrepreneurs, musicians, and professional golfers. It will center around what tools they have used to help them reach their dreams, how they use golf to further their career, whether it be for escape from the rigors of their profession or to build more business, and how the communitas of wine, music, and golf enrich their lives. This is all about the enjoyment of life, rising above the struggles, and stretching past the best to be better every day. On The Verge. With Nashville, Tennessee being one of the hottest real estate markets anywhere in the world, wouldn't it make sense that you'd be looking for a smarter real estate experience? Compass pairs the industry's top real estate agents with innovative technology to deliver a seamless experience for every client, from first-time buyers to seasoned sellers. I personally chose Lisa Gaston and the Gaston Collective to represent me when I sold my house recently here in Nashville. It was in the back end of the boom where the prices got to a point where everything was starting to retract, but she held firm and she delivered a great sale for me, and I'm unbelievably grateful for all the work that she put in, especially through trying and difficult times. Some of that was out of her control. With her deep local knowledge and her commitment to exceptional client service, she's helping clients all across Nashville find their place, including me. If you're interested in finding your greatest experience in the real estate journey in Nashville, contact Lisa Gaston today and visiting Compass. The Gaston Collective is a team of real estate licensees affiliated with Compass RE, a licensed real estate broker, and abides by the equal housing opportunity laws. On the Verge is also brought to you by Green Scene. Green Scene is a family-owned company recognized as the Sizzle Award winner for outdoor living in Williamson County. We design and construct areas to blend with the natural landscape of your yard. That can include outdoor spaces, gazebos, fire pits, outdoor kitchens, and yes, putting greens. We understand the importance of your home. That's why we never settle for anything but the best. Green Scene also provides multiple teams with professional landscape maintenance, irrigation, and outdoor lighting. Welcome to On The Verge. Today's edition will be uh, myself breaking down a few things. As I see, we head in toward the off-season of golf. Um, first thing I want to start with, uh, just like last year at this time, I went out to Las Vegas and played in the Outpost Club event in Las Vegas, and for the second year in a row, I finished second. This year felt very, very different than last year, one, because last year it was like 81 degrees and perfectly sunny, and this year it was in the high 40s, wind was blowing, and especially when we played Shadow Creek, it was really difficult. And it was almost like an anti-Virgil golf tournament because usually <clears throat> I drive the ball very well. I hit my iron shots reasonably well, and I make nothing. And I figure out a way to shoot somewhere between 71 and 73 pretty much everywhere I go. Well, this year, I shot 73-70. I shot 73 at uh, Shadow Creek, and I shot 70 at Cascada. And I find it interesting how how the game evolves. Uh, I know that recently I've been I've been putting better than usual, but I've never really, as a person who has battled putting woes for much of his adult life, I don't really buy into the fact that I'm going to keep putting good for some strange reason. But this particular week, I putted abnormally well. And for the first time that I can remember in a very long time, if not ever, it was my putting that provided me with a high finish. Uh, 
not my driving and or my iron play. And a couple of lessons that I've learned uh, through the, the struggles of a part of your game always feeling like it's the backpack of burden for you. And they are this. I have been guilty of negative self-talk about my putting for so long. And even though I know better, I believe that it's very easy to be hard on yourself and come down hard on yourself for wishing slash knowing that you could do better, but maybe not knowing how to do better. And I think that's something that we struggle with in our life, let alone on the golf course. But for some reason, maybe it was because I wasn't hitting it as good and it allowed me to put a little more focus on my putting or probably the necessity to putt well. It forced me to believe that I was going to putt well. Now, I had putted well prior to going to Las Vegas, so much so that my son Lucas was shocked at how well I was putting. And, of course, when I have good putting weeks, everybody likes to pile on, uh, just like I pile on myself. And, in, you know, when's it going to end and so on and so forth. But at the end of the day, I decided to believe that I was a good putter. And I decided to believe that this was my week, even though I wasn't hitting it well. And it just goes to show the power of the mind and what it is that when you manifest it from yourself, how oftentimes you get exactly what you want or what you ask for. So you got to be careful what you ask for. So one of the first things that I, I felt like I got out of the play was that I don't need to hit it awesome to play great golf. Now, the humbling part of that is that I spent all my time teaching golf saying that to kids who unfairly and judgmentally come down on themselves for not hitting it good enough to shoot the scores that they want to shoot. But then when we discuss whether it's course management or putting or short game, they don't really spend that much time on those things because they want to just work on their ball hitting. I think that what I learned this time around is that as I get older, my game is in better shape than it has ever been with less physical gifts than I've had. And my golf swing is more repetitive than it's ever been. My iron game is more consistent than it's ever been. My pitching recently has been awesome thanks to my in-home studio here in Brentwood, I have uh, a TrackMan simulator in my home now, and this is where I teach golf in Brentwood at my home. It has really allowed me to dial in my wedge play, and one of the things that I really believe wholeheartedly in is the fact that most people, when they hit a 50-yard shot, they don't know what 50 yards feels like, but they know what it looks like. And most people eyeball pitch shots. But where they really struggle when they eyeball them instead of just knowing how far what how far they swing back to hit a 50-yard shot is the fact that an architect can elevate the green or lower the green compared to where you are and it distorts 50 yards 
obviously uphill seems to be make the shot play longer and the downhill it makes it seem shorter but 50 yards is 50 yards whether you're in Taiwan Moscow or New York City so what it has allowed me to do is that it has allowed me when you're hitting into a screen is that it forces me to feel what 50 yards feels like and once I get the shot to consistently travel the distance that I'm looking at, I can then watch the video and I can burn it into my mind. I can see my golf swing in my mind and where it needs to stop. And my wedge play was, by a large account, played a huge role in my success. And that, obviously, with my putting saved a lot of my strokes my putting uh, and, and for those of you that have played with me I, I look at the line I don't look at the ball I look at the line that my ball's going to go on when I putt and it has been one of the most liberating and freeing feelings that I have ever experienced I got to a point where I couldn't even take the putter back between all the information that I have in my head about what a great putting stroke supposed to do I couldn't keep my eye still my eyes were all over the place watching the putter and I guess if you've missed as many putts as I've missed, you'd want to look too and see what the heck's going wrong. <clears throat> but at the end of the day, if I drive the ball effectively, I hit my iron shots consistently, my wedge game gets better and better, understanding how far I need to hit it. And my lag putting, which was, if you've ever listened to me speak negatively about myself, I've, I've unfortunately said to myself that I'm the worst professional lag putter ever. I know that that's not true, but it, it hurts when you don't don't do something as well as you'd like. Well, I've worked really hard on my how I speak to myself as well, but I'm I'm very pleased with where all parts of my game are. And now that I've just turned forty nine, um, I'm looking to see what I can do with the game going forward. My back uh, is in as good a shape as it's been and I have a lot of thanks and gratitude to the Kessners. Uh, if you've listened to this podcast, uh, the Kessners, I've, I've interviewed both um, the Kessners uh, for their, in their chiropractic and wellness center. And they have basically resurrected my body uh, through back pain that was uh, brought on uh, by a physical physical um, attack, so to speak, on my body. And for that, it took years for me to be able to swing without every swing feeling like it was going to be um, dangerous or hurtful. And I've had multiple times where I was locked up and hardly be able to teach golf, let alone play golf. So between the health that I have and where my game is, I'm playing competitively again. This is the second year I've competed more than once in tournament play. And it feels good to get back out there and compete. <clears throat> but what that has really allowed me to do is to relate to the junior golfers that I'm teaching right now. And as of right now, I am unbelievably fortunate to teach many of the best boys and girls in Tennessee. 
And generally speaking, the the things that interfere with human performance that interfere with Rory also interfere with me and interfere with you and interfere with any of these junior golfers. It's generally judgment and expectations that are heaped on the player that have absolutely nothing to do with what they're trying to do right now. And it interferes with what they already know how to do. But to be able to understand how to compete in life and compete at golf, they, although the words may change slightly so that you understand that this is a golf conversation versus a life conversation, we're trying to accomplish a handful of things in succession. Number one, the ultimate fundamental in anything in life is speed. The company that can provide the fastest service wins. The, process, the people that provide a, a computer situation that provides processing that gets the answers the fastest has the most business. The most difficult people to guard in football, baseball, basketball, hockey are the fastest players. And in golf, always the best players are the players who swing at it the fastest. So speed is fundamental number one. Well, speed, what is speed? Well, speed is a combination of technique and fast twitch muscles. I believe that fast twitch muscles is more of a genetic gift, but there is speed that can be gained through training. I would probably say that I could get a reasonable athlete to 113 to 115 miles per hour with their driver. But without fast twitch muscles, I don't think we can see the Rory McIlroy, Dustin Johnson, Bryson DeChambeau, Tiger Woods in his prime speed up well into the mid-120s. And for DeChambeau's purposes, 130. But at the end of the day, it is the ability to rotate around your spine, which is sitting on top of two poles, your legs. So there is a little loading and unloading that moves laterally across the circle that is the golf swing. My job is to get that motion as traveling as fast as I can instinctively. Now, for the average golfer, instinctively, that motion usually goes left or over the top, which is what causes the slice. But either way, my job is to get you to swing at it as fast as I possibly can and then bend your golf swing in the direction that is closest to zero, which is, you know, on plane. And once I have your golf swing bent onto the plane and it is now traveling as fast as it can, now we have a repeatable circle that hits the ball solid. When that occurs, we generally have a ball flight that we can rely on. It's either going to be curving from right to left some or left to right some. I don't know too many people that hit the ball straight that we can rely on it. But there are people that hit falling fades and falling draws all the time. So once you have a golf swing that has the appropriate amount of speed for whatever tee box you're playing from, the next thing that is required is predictability of curvature and distance. So now that we know that you are a drawer or a fader and we know how far, thank goodness to TrackMan who provides us all this information, provides us your carry numbers for all of the clubs in the bag, 
and I can actually adjust that for temperature. I can adjust that for elevation, and I can adjust that for wind. It's pretty remarkable. Now we know how far you carry the golf ball. So if you know what your ball is going to do, both in curve and distance, and we have the appropriate amount of speed, you can mathematically tear apart a golf course. Now, usually that mathematical tearing apart of a golf course has a bunch of things going right. And we know that that doesn't happen in life or in golf. Not everything goes as planned. Which is why the short game is so important. The short game is like your insurance policy against bad scores. Because when you are playing great, your short game is what allows you to shoot 65, 64, or 63. But when things aren't going good, it is what allows you to shoot 70, 71, 72 on a day that used to shoot 76, 77, 78. And that comes from knowing your yardages, and mainly your carry yardages, because the only thing that doesn't change is the carry. What does change is what the ball does when it lands on the green. In the south, we are currently in the midst of most of the golf courses transitioning to Bermuda grass. And the championship Bermuda grasses are firm and fast. And in my opinion, maybe the best putting surfaces in the world are the ultra dwarf Bermuda greens that we have in the south. They don't mark up when you hit on the green. They're super duper smooth, very little grain. And they're like putting on glass. It is beautiful. Well, what that means is that if you're playing a championship caliber golf course and the greens are rolling 12 and you're playing on Bermuda grass and you're 40 yards to the hole, you're probably looking for 34 to 35 yards of carry because that ball is not going to spin or stop in its mark. Now, if you play in the south and you go to a golf course that has bent grass greens, that 40-yard shot might be a 39-yard carry with one bounce after it hits and then stops. But what we do know is that the carry number is the key. The release number is completely related to the golf course that you're playing, the slope that you're playing on, the speed of the greens, and the firmness of the greens. Your job in your practice rounds are to discern when is the when is the right time to adjust for trajectory and when is the right time to adjust for spin. And then if you're looking to compete at golf and you have a functional golf swing and you have a predictable curve and distance, I would probably say the next most important piece is lag putting. Because if you become a great lag putter, and I would say think back to Tiger Woods between 2006 and 2009 where he definitely didn't drive the golf ball as well as he used to and he hit a lot of greens, but oftentimes he hit it to 30 and 40 feet. There were so many tournaments in a row in which every putt looked like it was going in from 40 and 50 feet, and it would, if it didn't go in, it run just barely by the hole for the easiest tap-in par. And Scott Fawcett clearly demonstrates through decade that Tiger didn't lower his scores because he made more birdies. He made less bogeys. And there's a great way for you to reduce the stress of your round and reduce the stress of a tournament is that you know that you can put it onto the middle of the green or an open part of the green, take all the trouble out of play, and lag that putt up there and tap it in for par and go to the next hole until you get a little rhythm into your swing or you work yourself out of the funk that you're in on the golf course, knowing that you can put the ball into the fat part of the green, two putt from 30, 40, 50 feet all the time, 
that is one of the greatest stress re- reducers that there is in competitive golf. Very important. For the average player, after you're a good lag putter, you want to feel like you never miss a three-foot putt. So a great way to practice your short putting is just take five, six, ten balls and just take the length of your putter, which is nearly three feet, and just go in a circle uh, until you have however many balls that you have. You know, look like a goes around a clock. And when you go around the clock, you will have a varying degree of putts that break left to right, right to left, uphill and downhill. And I would encourage everybody to dominate the three-foot landscape. If you're a competitive junior golfer slash competitive college golfer, that number is four feet. And if you're a PGA Tour, LPGA Tour player, that number is five feet. On multiple occasions, there have been players who did not miss a putt from five feet and in for the year. In 2015, Jason Day did not miss a putt inside of five feet. Two different times, Luke Donald didn't miss a putt inside of five feet. For the year. For the year. That is insane. Just so happens that that occurred while both of them were number one in the world. So factoring all of those things in, those are the physical keys to playing great golf. Obviously, if you've paid attention to this podcast long enough, Scott Fawcett and the Decade System is incredible as it pertains to how to manage a golf course and how to strategically tear apart a golf course, reduce the amount of risk that you're taking. And Scott would tell you that he is like teaching you how to play poker on the golf course. Play the percentages, play the percentages, play the percentages. The only thing that I add to that is that when you have a chance to win, nearly always you have to adjust yourself to hit the appropriate shot when needed. And if that needs to be more aggressive to seize the moment, I strongly encourage it. He believes, and there's really nothing wrong with what he believes, he believes you play the percentages always. But I've had multiple conversations with tour caddies, and the tour caddies are like, we don't have chances to win all the time. I'm not caddying for Tiger Woods. I'm not caddying for Rory McIlroy. If we have a chance to win, that means we're playing good. And if we're playing good, we need to take on some pins that we might not normally take on on Thursday or Friday because this is our opportunity. This is our window to win. And I kind of agree with that. I think it's easy to think about competing as if you're Tiger Woods when you're always having a chance to win in his prime and Rory now and in some ways DJ now. But, I mean, at the end of the day, this is all about understanding how to navigate the – the golf course with as few mistakes as possible until you don't have another choice. So if you employ appropriate strategy and you employ great technique with an understanding of how the, how your ball flies both in distance and curve, you now have all that is required to win, which then leaves us to the final piece of competitive golf which is mental and emotional management. Now, I have spent a lot of time understanding the mental and emotional management piece, and I have a device called Focus Band that allows me to train you to be into the zone, and that's really, really one of the coolest things that I've ever done. 
But at the end of the day, there are childhood traumas and other life traumas that interfere with the mind under duress that are way out of my realm of knowledge or expertise. In my opinion, and there are so many great ones out there, so this is not an indictment against anybody. I just had the opportunity to work with so many great people. But Stephen Yellen is the very best coach in the world when it, as it pertains to how the brain is supposed to work competing. I've never met anybody who has a greater understanding of how to access the talent that you have under the maximum amount of pressure. Absolutely phenomenal. His book, Simplicity, is one of the very best books on human performance that I've ever read. And he's literally one of the single greatest human beings that I know. But if you're a person who has had life events that have been very traumatic, or you've been through some levels of mental abuse or trauma, I believe that Dr. Brett McCabe is the best in the world at understanding what it is that are limiting you from accessing what you know and giving you a great game plan to overcome the, these particular interferences to give you the great game plan to then access what you already know. I believe that Dr. Rob Bell is also phenomenal. He's probably a great blend of both of these gentlemen. But those are my big three. And I'm a big believer in mental work, both on the golf course and off the golf course. It's so hard for people to understand what happens in your life and how it interferes with your brain's ability to access the talent that it already has, whether it's in a sport, in business, dealing with other humans. It's amazing how many red flags pop up that you get triggered by that completely and 100% block you from performing at that very moment. That is my blueprint, and this is why I believe that I've been fortunate to have success coaching golf is that I've experienced enough talent to have competed. I've won 14 times as a professional. I have lost hundreds of times as a professional. I've experienced the highs of great ball striking, the lows of terrible ball striking. I have poorly manage the golf course and I now expertly manage the golf course I've seen it all and I have worked with all of the, the mental coaches that I've spoken to you about in person and I have a full understanding of what my role is and I have no trouble whatsoever turning it over to people that I would consider experts in a field that you're struggling with. If that means Stan Utley for your putting, then it's Stan Utley for your putting. If it's Jane Seekman for your putting or your short game, then it's James Seekman for your putting or your short game. Both gentlemen, off the chart talented at teaching the short game. And the people that I refer to the most when it comes to coaching it myself and playing it myself.
that to me is what I try to pass on to my players. And I guess the, the part that I'm humbled by the most is how it has affected the players that I teach is the, the care that I put into understanding each step. You can't put one step in front of the other. There's no reason to work on your mental game if your physical game is not ready. But if your physical game is ready and you're not competing well, it is definitely a mental or an emotional management issue. And if, you, if you're following along on my social media platforms, uh, I've recently decided to do a winner program to help people come out in 2023 by April 1 ready to play their greatest golf ever. And in many ways, I've picked up so many great girl players in Nashville. And the thing that I love working with girls the most is the fact that I, I teach them like they're Ferraris. I want them to swing at it as fast as they can. I'm not worried about them doing anything else other than what I would get Rory McIlroy to do. I want them to do the things that it takes to be a great golfer, whether you're a boy or a girl. And I love to instill belief, but not fake belief. With that step-by-step-by-step-by-step process that I just laid out for you, it provides a a clear blueprint slash roadmap to what it takes to be great. Each, Each person clearly understands what part of their game is lacking, where their strengths are, and it then makes it easy to focus on what needs to be focused on to become better so that when we come out in April of 2023, we plan the best golf that we can play. And that's all that really matters to me is not so much how many championships the players win. It's how they grow to understand themselves under stress because life is full of stress and golf allows these kids the opportunity to practice life at an age that it doesn't affect them largely so that when they do have to deal with life, when they get out of college and head to the real world, they've experienced what it, what hard work looks like to get to be at the top of something. They've experienced pressure. They've experienced anxiety and nerves for a moment. They've prepared all their life for, and now it's here. That gets everybody exhilarated. And in many ways, it's why we, why we compete is to feel that feeling. And that's what I get. That's what gets me the most excited. So with all of these these players, and I get a lot of concern from people that maybe I only coach good players. That is not true. I only coach people who want to be good players. And if you're watching on social media right now, there are plenty of people that are not the elite golfers in the country that are coming here to use golf in a business or recreational arena that brings them great pleasure and or great success in the business world. And in some ways, that's more realistic than playing on TV. Oftentimes, my players will hear me tell them that there's a very good chance that they'll make more money using golf 
in their business career than they may make playing on the tour. And for every Brant Snedeker that I've coached, he's certainly had an outrageously successful career financially and through championships. There are many people that played high school golf with Brant or around Brant that went to college and played great college golf that tried to play professionally that didn't that now use this game and its relationships and its power and it's the gift of time. Golf is a gift of time. It allows you to spend time with people three, four, five, six hours at a time. And there's no better way to get to know somebody than to watch them interact on a golf course. And that to me is probably one of the sneakiest gifts that I get a chance to see when my players stop competing and they head into the real world, whether it's at 22, 28, 30, whatever. And then it's five or six years later, I'll get a call, a text message, an email that states that thanks, thanking me for encouraging them to keep working on their game because now that they can play a very good round of golf, that is taking them places in the business world that otherwise they wouldn't go. And yes, it's good for everybody, but I am here to tell you, girls out there, if you can play a functional round of golf, that means under 90. If you can play a functional round of golf, you have a level of power in the business world that is even more profound than it would be if you were a male. And that's why I'm always encouraging these young girls to understand is that this is a trump card. This is the ace of spades in your business career. Not that you have to spend hours and hours and hours working on your game after you're done playing college golf or you're done playing high school golf, but keep it exercised enough that you can go out and it looks like you play the game. You hit shots with integrity because you will always be invited to play because there's there's one thing that is a rarity in golf that is a shame is the quality female player. There should be more. I wish there were more. And I believe that sometimes uh, through social situations, girls give up on the game a little bit sooner than boys do. But they are very powerful in the business world if they can play a solid round of golf. So that's my, uh, that's my roadmap for how I teach golf. That is the roadmap for my winter program. If you're interested in that, please contact me through my, my cell phone, which is 615-579-5190, or any one of the social media platforms. You can direct message me there, and we will get started. I'm looking forward to helping anybody who wants to understand how to play the best golf of their life. As you know, this is a show based around golf, music, wine, and entertainment. And I've been very fortunate recently to go to a variety of concerts and a variety of sporting events. And it gives me a chance to reflect on a lot of things. One, I got a chance to go see Pearl Jam, and we've talked about that. But seeing Pearl Jam with my kids was a moment in time that I guess many parents have where like your worlds collide, where you introduce them to something that they were, that impacted your life when you were their age and they got on board with it and loved it. 
I also had the opportunity to go see one of Maynard's uh, bands called Pussifer at the Holy Grail of music venues, which is the Ryman Auditorium. And he never disappoints. It's almost like a religious experience for me when I go see any one of Maynard's bands. But when you go see anything at the Ryman Auditorium, it's um, it's a level of special that you know that you're in for something. But even more so, the artists recognize that they're in for something special. And the amount of respect that you get from the the artist and how grateful they are to be on that stage, it shifts the energy. And it's uh, something to behold, really. Very powerful. I've had the opportunity to see the Titans play a couple of games in the preseason, and I got a chance to watch them play the Broncos this week on my birthday. And if you're a Titans fan, you know this for sure. They're not there to extend your life. They're there to shorten your life. As every game, no matter who we play, comes down to the last drive. And if it doesn't go to the last drive, it goes into overtime. And But we thrive in the, in the pressure cooker. We have thrived many years. And it's an old school philosophy of running the football and wearing people down and making them tired. And I had a chance to watch it work again against the Broncos. I'm a huge Broncos fan. I'm a huge Titans fan. But um, when I'm in Nashville, I feel like I'm a Titans fan. So I didn't feel like I was going to have a losing event, whether the Broncos won or the Titans won. But it was really interesting to see how two teams that generally are struggling on offense use their defense and, and field position strategy to take advantage of scoring opportunities. And it's almost kind of like watching the St. Louis Cardinals play baseball back in the day with Vince Coleman and Willie McGee and all the fast players that they manufactured runs. They didn't have a lot of power hitters. They had George Hendricks and Daryl Porter, but they weren't like legit power hitters. But they manufactured runs with walks and singles, stolen bases and another stolen base, and then another opposite field ground ball that gets the runner from third to home. That's what it's almost like watching the Titans play. Is they don't they don't throw a lot of deep touchdown passes, and we don't have any breakaway wide receivers. We do have a breakaway running back who hasn't had that many break, hasn't had any breakaways really. I, mean, I guess he had that big long run against the the Chiefs, but not for a touchdown. But it is interesting to compare like old school baseball of manufacturing runs with singles and stolen bases and watching football teams grind it out on the ground instead of the explosive way that the game has turned into in the NFL. And I just find it interesting that when you when you do own the time of possession and you do tire out the defense, it's amazing how many tackles get missed on behalf of the Titans in the fourth quarter because people are just so tired, especially if tired of hitting Derrick Henry. Got a chance to watch the Predators play uh, a couple of times. I don't believe the Predators are a playoff team this year. I believe we're in a transition period where our best players are getting older. We don't have a lot of imposing size on the ice. 
and I don't believe we play great or at least invested defense. I did get a chance over my birthday, I call my birthday holiday week, so to speak, got a chance to watch them play the Minnesota Wild uh, on Tuesday, and it was a 2-1 to one victory. And once again, you can tell that our defense played better than the first time I went when we got absolutely thumped in the first home game, 5-1. to one. But it's, a, it's an obvious down quality, in my opinion, on the ice, both stick handling, speed, and defense. So I think we're an average hockey team. I expect us to be somewhere between 38 and 45 or 44 and 44 and 38 uh, for the regular season. If that's good enough to make the playoffs, great, but I would expect it to be at the bottom of the pile if we are. But it's it's always cool to watch athletes compete under the gun. And under the gun generally means with all the people on the ice, all the people on the football field, or all the people on the golf course, generally speaking, equally talented or pretty close. It's always the preparation to win the effort to move past difficult moments, the perseverance piece, and the ability to stay positive and focused for the amount of time that the event takes. So obviously the hockey and football games are 60 minutes and golf is sometimes four and a half, five hours, which is why golf is oftentimes viewed as the, the mental sport, but they're all mental sports, just some of them are moving faster than others. So I just believe when you when you watch how momentum plays a role in sports and how time wears on the body, it's that's why it's so interesting to pay close attention to the nuances. Once you're in an in an arena where everybody is similarly talented, because it's not going to be, generally speaking. Derrick Henry rushing for 390 yards in a game with five 80-yard touchdowns. It's going to be all the accumulated three, four, and five-yard runs that turn into a 50-yard run in the fourth quarter because people are tired. It's going to be on the ice. It's going to be how tired with the puck movement do they make the defense so that with five minutes left in the third period, there are more holes in the defensive zone to get easier shots on goal, plus taking advantage of your power plays and breakaways. And on the golf course, it's all about playing the percentages, owning your percentages, knowing the parts of your game that are required, and waiting for the hot streak. Waiting for the hot streak. Almost every round of golf has a hot streak in it. And, of course, every round of golf has a kind of a lull in it. And to me, all of those things come down to your preparation and how hard you work at the little things once the little things become the big things. And what I mean by that is when everybody else has generally the same talent, you're going to start to see the, the little idiosyncrasies, the nuances become the separating device. And that also generally demonstrates how life works. It's those who have a general kindness in nature, 
who have a process that is based around good fundamentals of life and belief and friendship and culture that those allow you to thrive when things are good, but it gives you a, a grounding mechanism when things get difficult and challenging. And of all the things that I would be encouraging everybody to do, as we are definitely experiencing crazy times, not just in our country, but around the world, a fraction more attention to be paid in kindness and generosity and a little bit more care as it pertains to not only how we care for ourselves, whether it be how we eat, how we work out, how we sleep, but also how we help others. And my mission has been, for the longest time, is to help as many people as I possibly can because I never know when I'm going to need help. And if I provide 80 people one-on-one help, whether it's with their golf game, whether it's through the podcast, through my books, through the public speaking, through I3 Verticals, and the work that I'm doing with uh, credit card processing, saving people money. If I ever need anything, each one of those is a one-on-one individual help. But whenever I need something, that comes back to me 80 to 1. And I owe a lot of gratitude to Bill Strawsball for that. My, obviously, my mom and dad for that. So many great friends who've instilled that, that peace in me. But I just love to help people. And when you love to help people and you help them achieve their dreams, there's no other way, there's no easier way for you to achieve your dreams than when you help others achieve their dreams. Generally speaking, everybody loves to succeed, and they love to see others succeed. I hope that you all have a wonderful Thanksgiving week. Uh, I will be providing another podcast next week on the week of Thanksgiving. So, Please have a safe and happy Thanksgiving with your family and friends, and I will look forward to seeing you next time on The Verge. Are you looking for a smarter real estate experience? Compass pairs the industry's top real estate agents with innovative technology to deliver a seamless experience for every client, from first-time buyers to seasoned sellers. Lisa Gaston has been a Nashville resident for many years. With her deep local knowledge and her commitment to exceptional client services, she's helping clients all across Nashville find their place. To learn more about Lisa, follow her on Instagram at Lisa Gaston Holmes. The Gaston Collective is a team of real estate licensees affiliated with Compass RE, a licensed real estate broker, and abides by the equal housing opportunity laws. On the Verge is produced by Chase Akers. If you've enjoyed the show, leave a five-star rating and write a review. Click subscribe to make sure that you don't miss a single episode.